Happy Father's Day to all our dads. And I found this great passage several months ago, just, just kind of in my morning reading. One of my favorite books of the Bible is 1 Thessalonians because it's, it's the church that Paul doesn't have to chide as hard as the rest of the churches. They actually get almost all compliments. There's a couple little issues they had. But it's the church that was just knocking it out of the park and witnessing and sharing their faith. And so I'm very encouraged uh, by the Thessalonian church. And I, and I um, love reading that letter. So the other day I just thought, well, I'm just going to read through it. And then these words popped off the page for me in 1 Thessalonians 2. And this is where the Apostle Paul is. If you're looking for Thessalonians, by the way, it's in the T's. All the T's are together in the New Testament. Don't ask me why. Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians are all there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is explaining his ministry role to this little church. And by the way, this, the church in Thessalonica would have been about the same size as we are this morning. Uh, probably about this many families, a bunch of little kids, uh, some middle-aged uh, families, and some senior citizens. We, we'd probably blended right in with that church. If we just sat next to them, they'd look just like us. And uh, they met in homes. They, they actually, were, by the way, were persecuted for their faith. They had to hide sometimes um, because of the, the culture in Rome at the time was getting very hostile uh, towards those that would believe. And yet they were boldly proclaiming the gospel. So it was a pretty cool deal. And Paul just reminds them when he writes a letter back to them of encouragement. He reminds them of how he ministered to them. So I'm going to look at my young ministers that are here this morning and all of you Actually, all of you that know Christ are, are ministers. Some of you just aren't young, okay? But you're all ministers of the gospel. Everybody in this room that knows Christ as a Savior is called to be a minister. We're actually called priests in the New Testament. Um, we are the priesthood of believers. So you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be ministering to people in your community, to people in your family. And so I want to just remind you of the importance of that, but in the process of reading through Paul's ministry profile that he gives in chapter 2, it, a couple of words just stood out to me. And so if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, for you yourselves know, brethren, our coming into you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, and by the way, you remember the Philippian jailer story where Paul gets thrown in jail and in the deepest part of the dungeon and him and his buddies are singing him and Silas are singing overnight. That's right before he gets to Thessalonica with the gospel. So he got beat up for sharing the gospel in Philippi, finished his ministry there and went straight to Thessalonica and started the same thing. So pretty, pretty confident minister. He said, we came into you with boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel uh, and amid much opposition. For our exhortation doesn't come to you in error or impurity or by deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So Paul's talking about, as a minister, when we move from town to town, God's given us this purpose to do all that, right? But in the process, if you look down at verse uh, 6, I'm going to read for the NIV in verse 6, and I think that'll be on the screen for you. As an apostle of Christ, well, yeah, there it went. As an apostle of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, if you mark words in your Bible, ladies, here's a good one to circle, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only gospel, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. So Paul says his ministry model 
actually has some mothering to it. He's, he's actually taking on the attributes of a mom. I know it's Father's Day, and I'm going to beat on the fathers in a minute, but moms, I get to take you on first because it's in the text. And I uh, just don't want the dads to feel all beat on by themselves today. It's interesting, by the way. I was reading a bunch of stuff in uh, some ministry magazines and some online ministry stuff that I follow, and uh, churches have decided that Father's Day should not be um, things that make fathers feel bad. We shouldn't talk to dads and make them feel bad about their fathering, so try to build them up. And I got to thinking about that. It makes some sense to me, but it also ends up being part of our major cultural problem of we don't ever grow if we don't deal with the stuff that we need to deal with. So if you dad showed up today, I'm really sorry that I don't agree with that, um, but I'm going to look at the Bible, and we're going to compare ourselves to the calling of God in our lives, and if you fall short, I'll help you, because I'm short of that. We'll just help each other with that. We don't have to we don't have to feel, you know, it isn't, church doesn't have to be all just about, hey, it's all happy and you're good and everybody's good. That's kind of that everybody wins a trophy deal and uh, everybody's okay, which is what I had. I spent a whole week at camp telling those kids, your whole life you've been taught you're okay and you're not. Every teacher you've ever had, every, uh, every little cartoon you've watched and Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street all kept telling you everything's okay and you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And you're not okay because you're sinners. And I proved to them over and over again they were sinners by talking about how I was a sinner and how I struggle with driving on the road when people, you know, do things they shouldn't do and all that kind of stuff. I shared all those stories of me as a sinner and said, we're all sinners. If I'm struggling with it at 55 and been a pastor since I was 17, I know y'all are struggling with this. And so we had to expose the sin. But part of what I want to say today is, is uh, you know, we just don't have to have this. I believe the men of Northside and really the men of our community a little tougher than that. I don't think we're that soft. If, if we've got a culture of people so soft you can't talk to them about their, where they're weak, we are in trouble. So, guys, just toughen up for a little bit this morning. We're going to get in some scripture that's going to crunch your toes, as Brother Al says. And uh, so be it. Let's, let's learn. Let's grow. So, moms, here's a cool verse for y'all. It says, like a mother caring for her little children. And I watch these new moms walk around just hugging on and loving on all these little kids. And it's so cool. But here's the three things that are just right there for you, ladies. And this is the perfect description of my mom, by the way. If, if you were talking about Levada Estelle Givens, and if she was right here, she would slap me for saying that middle name. She hated her middle name because it was the name of the pig at the farm. But anyway... I don't know why my grandma named her that. But here's the three things that, that the Bible says for the women right here. Paul says his ministry model has some mothering in it. And here's the mother part. She's gentle. She's not a burden. And she's delighted to share with you the gospel of, and her life. Okay? That's, that's a great role. I mean, if you just needed a three-point point, three point message for you ladies, just be gentle. Ladies, please, be gentle. <laughs> don't be a burden to your family. Find a way to be a blessing to them and just be delighted to share the gospel. My mother was committed to getting the gospel and her mother, my grandmother, was committed to getting the gospel into all of the maples and the givens and everybody that she could influence. And, and uh, little Rachel Maples, tiny little lady, couldn't read, a, couldn't read anything. She'd never learned to read. She'd sit with her Bible in her lap in church, uh, open like she knew what she was doing, but she had no idea how to read. But she made sure, my brother Mark and I, Doped up on cough drops, Luden's cough drops, sat next to her at uh, Liberty Park Baptist Church down in Crichton. We sat right on the pew, that hard back pew next to her, and uh, sat there and ate cough drops till the service was over. She made sure we were in church every Sunday. And then her, her daughter, my mother, 
was very focused on all of us growing up with the measure of the gospel. So ladies, I'm just saying, as Paul talks about having an effective ministry, he says a mother's role is a big part of that. And you guys have an awesome opportunity to speak into the lives of your children, and you should delight in sharing the gospel and the stories of your life with them. We'll talk about that storytelling as we go. So, um, And then there's this marks of a good father that come from verse 9. If you just kept reading the text, that was all to verse 8. Verse 9 says this, Surely you remember brothers, and by the way, it's, if you're marking words, because all these just jumped off the page of me the other, a few weeks ago when I was reading this. He talks about mothers, and then he says, by the way, we're all brothers. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So he bonds us together as a family right here, the church family. The church at Thessalonica was a family. So he says, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So he had a ministry role as a mother. He connects us as family, as brothers. And then he says, and like a father, we had some roles with you as well. We were encouraging, verse 12, confronting, or comforting, confronting, that too, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. So very quickly, the context you saw a minute ago, Paul says in verse 1 and 2, here's how we came into um, your lives to minister the gospel. We came in sharing the words of the gospel of Jesus. We taught you that you're supposed to live life like Jesus. Those were his words, right? So the context, he's explaining the words and the motives of the apostles in sharing the gospel. But then he says the words don't really matter because when we walked in among you, you need to see our witness. You need to see our life in front of you. So it's not just about words, gentlemen. It's not just about the words you have to your children. It's about the witness you have. And that ties in very strongly to our family series Uh, What we've been talking about really all the way back to Deuteronomy, that it's our lifestyle before our children and our families and our grandchildren that really matter. The right words, the good words are important, but to be effective, you have to have the right witness. So here's the three things, four things that we want to just talk about this morning. First of all, the, the conduct of a good father is in that first little phrase there. He talks about his walk, his walk as a good father. And he says his walk was, first of all, how we came. We were laboring, intensely laboring. So the conduct of good father has this hard work involved in it. A good father is a hard worker, labor. And by the way, the Greek word, it means troublesome labor. It's funny when we guys all get together and talk about our jobs, they're troublesome. (laughs) So they don't always go like we want them to. They stress us out. They're toilsome. They work, we have to work very hard at certain things. Um, I called my brother uh, Mark coming back, or actually I think he called me, uh, coming back from camp, and I, had, I missed it, so I called him right back. And by the time I called him back, he had three or four people standing in front of him, and he goes, I can't talk right now. I can't do anything that's happening at one time. <laughs> okay. You know, and I know his business. I know how that works. You know, Mark Wattiers, uh, you know, sometimes we can't do lunch because his business is, is working him so hard. When we had Team Jesus uh, the, the, you know, cool day of Team Jesus. You know, Andy, Andy's job had 
How many coolers went down? Four coolers at one time, three coolers at one time went down uh, out there where he keeps all the flowers. And that doesn't, that's not good for flowers when that happens and uh, in the middle of May. So he's on the phone trying to solve that. And then he finally realized, I just got to go take care of that. You know, so we have, sometimes our labor is troublesome and toiling. And the Apostle Paul was saying, in ministry, works exactly that way. We have to toil and labor with our ministry. And we have to work very hard at that. It's difficult, by the way. It requires a lot of sweat. Um, somebody was asking us at camp about how the Team Jesus Day went. And uh, I said it was great and hard and long. <laughs> I said, I'm getting really old. And running that whole day like we do is just, it just is exhausting. I said, but man, it was awesome to see those kids signing those salvation cards and all the you know, 50-something-plus kids that came to Christ that day and all that. Um, that's fantastic work. But it required a ton of labor and sweat. Everybody I hugged after about 1 o'clock that day, I said, I'm really sorry for how that feels and smells. I just am. Because I'm solid. My shirt was soaked. My, I was just soaking wet from that day. So that's exactly what a good father does, though. The conduct of a good father is to be willing to work very hard. Early in the morning, get up early in the morning, work late at night, whatever it takes to make it all happen for you, for your family. For your church life and for your ministry. And then it says they also travail. It actually says they travail. Uh, how hard we work night and day. Um, and they, the, the word travail there has to do with the pain and the stress and the suffering. It has to do with physical suffering. Physical stress. Lots of work that we do is physical. And good fathers figure out how to do all that. They fix all these things around the house. And they... Uh, Take care of the property and that kind of thing. And, and Paul's saying, hey, when we came in as a minister, it required us to do some physical labor. He's actually talking about the fact that he worked as a tent maker, by the way, um, with all his big canvas and stuff and sewing tents and hauling big rolls of canvas around and all that kind of stuff. He worked as a tent maker on the side so the, so the little group of people at church um, didn't have to afford to pay for him to be there with him, but he could, he could fund it himself. And then he says his labor was night and day. It's just a commitment of time. A good father, a good father, gentlemen, has a commitment of time to their family. And uh, we don't shortcut that. That's a big part of the problem in our culture today. We talked about it the very first couple of uh, parts of this Family Matters series that uh, many fathers spend less than eight seconds a day with their kids. Um, they come blowing in at night. They're tired. The kids are in bed. And they just miss out on so much. And so... Um, a commitment of time. I really appreciate um, the fact that my older brother, Lynn, um, made a commitment to us, as me and my brother, to, to be at all our ball games. He was at all our ball games. He was like a father to us in our later life. And, and we didn't know the Lord would call our dad home early. Uh, but when he did, um, we, you know, we were able to look to Lynn for that guidance and that leadership. And he was just always there. And I think it's important, by the way, you young parents, when your kids get older, that they can say, you were always there. You were there. You came, you came to our events. You showed up at our things, and you, you didn't miss any of the important stuff. So you grandparents need to do your best to make those efforts as well. So that's the conduct of a good father. But then the character is really the, the emphasis that I want you to see this morning. The character of the good father is in their behavior. And Paul says, I just want you to listen to how he says it. You are witnesses, and so is God, verse 10, how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul says, when we came into your town, and we were, we were coming in as a mother and a father, we were coming in to treat you as a father would, with a lot of instruction, a lot of encouragement, but here's what we did. 
We were whole, our character was holy and blameless and just. And, and so King James word here is holily. <laughs> I used to have a hard time saying that. Holily. The New American Standard uses the word devoted. Um, but it's the Greek word for pious. It's weird. Paul says, you know how pious we were when we came in. <laughs> and uh, there's, a, there's a bad pious and a good pious. This is the good pious. This is the, you know how above reproach, um, how, how, how we were, um, in a good sense, careful to fulfill the God-given roles. What God said we were supposed to do, that's what we were doing. And, uh, you know, part of my role at camp over the years, we, were, we sat up late one night talking to a bunch of us as leaders, um, talking about camp. And, and I just shared with them, I said, you know, every year camp is, is amazing. It really is. And I don't know, I mean, it's not, I keep saying there's no way that's me. It's just not. It's not the band, even though the band is awesome that stays there and plays and, and does all that. And, and the leaders are awesome. But I'm like, wow, God, you just really move in this little tiny camp in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. You do amazing work. And uh, it overwhelms me every year because when we come back, there's a sense of expectation in the students and the adults. You know, and it's like they're, they're counting on the, the teaching and the ministry and all that to, to be that strong. And I get very humbled by all that, I, I have to I have to think through, um, and but part of me also I get very convicted. Like while I'm here with these kids, you know, I've got to have the right attitude. When certain things go wrong, and you know, students or adults drive me nuts, you know, and they rearrange a schedule or they do something that's very inconvenient all of a sudden, and it changes everything. I don't want to go. What do y'all think you're doing? I go. You know, that's not gonna that attitude in me is not gonna help any of these students see that. You know, I've got to work through this as, as a Christian adult now. Go to a leader and sit him down and go, hey, when we rearrange that schedule, were you not thinking that I've got to do this and this and this in a row? Uh, you know, can, is, can, we, can we think through that a little differently and retime the day or something? And, and, uh, but it's very important that I live right in front of those people. And I stay submitted to their guidelines and their rules. Camp has a lot of rules. And I like staying submitted to those because then I'm under their authority. And I... Can go, I go to leaders all the time with, uh, hey, do you think it'd be okay if we do this? And instead of me going, because I've been there 15 years, 14 years this year. Been there 14 years. So, And a lot of people come to me as the camp pastor asking for permissions for stuff I can't even give permission to. I, I don't have, I'm just a camp pastor. But they think I run camp because I'm, you know, in front of them two times a day in chapel. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not in charge of your camp at all. I just teach. So I can't give you permission to X, Y, Z, whatever you want to do. You know, you want to go put all that stuff in the girls' dorm and freak them out. That'd be a very bad idea, in my opinion. But I can't give you permission for that, you know. Go talk to somebody else about that. But at the same time, you have to live right in front of them. And you have to be careful to fulfill your God-given responsibilities. Then these other two words, justly and blamelessly. I want you to look at those. Justly just means upright in character and behavior. It's a word that's missing from our current culture, by the way. Our youth of today don't worry about being just. They worry about, they're very internal focused. They're like, what does it do for me? Um, This has to do, when you live justly, it has to do with your character and behavior in a community. Does this character or behavior enhance this community? In other words, is it good for everybody or is it just good for me? And that's a very important question we have to ask ourselves. And dads, Paul's saying that a good father has a behavior that takes care of everybody. I consider everybody in the formula. It's not just a one-person deal. It's not all about me, not all about my wife, not all about one child, but it's about us as a family. 
And then blamelessly. This is the tough one. Blamelessly is both, it's the same word in King James and New American Standard. But it means unable to find fault in them. Doesn't mean that you're perfect, by the way. But it does mean that when you really get down to it, your faults weren't on purpose. Your faults were pointed out to you and you confessed and repented and turned of them. That's how the Apostle Paul's faults are every time in the scriptures. And he's the one saying, you know how we came into you as, as blameless. In other words, when you found something in us and you pointed to us, we owned it. I tell, I tell young couples all the time when I do their weddings, I said, please don't make excuses for failures with each other. Make apologies. There's a huge difference. When you make excuses with each other, you're saying, hey, I, I can't help myself from doing that. I had a good excuse, which means you're going to do it again. That's a problem. So what you want to do is, is actually just make an apology. An apology doesn't have a but in it. <laughs> okay? An apology doesn't have a, it's not a compound sentence. It's a simple sentence. I'm sorry for, you name what you did wrong. Now, that's healthy, and that's, that's the best way to handle living a blameless life before people. Um, I, I have many faults, and I've failed at many things. But when people come to me and point that out, I just swallow hard. Sometimes I don't even agree with what they're saying for a while. I have to let that sink in and go, Lord, you've got to help me get a handle on all this and understand what part of that is, is good and what part's bad. And then I have to have more conversations. But eventually, if you know you failed at something, just acknowledge the failure. James 3 says we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. When you look at Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul talks about how, and that's uh, in, his, in his deal, Paul says, I'm not perfect. That's the part of the passage, I'm not going to read it to you, but he goes, that which I want to do, I don't ever do. And that which I hate doing, I keep doing that. And he's saying in and, in and of himself, he says, there's this internal wrestling match with me where I, I don't do the things that I I I don't do the things I should do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Well, that, unless somebody's a liar in here, that implies everybody in the building. Okay, That implies every father here for sure. But all of us struggle with that internal wrestling match. It's a spiritual warfare that goes on inside us. So Paul's not saying you have to live perfect, but he is saying you have to be blameless. And there's a difference. When you're blameless, you've dealt with your imperfections. And when somebody points one out that's, that's a sin or a flaw, you just own it. You go, okay, man, I wish I wouldn't lie. And Lord, please help me overcome that. I want to change my behaviors and my character and my struggle in that so eventually I can be brighter light for you. That's the whole thing is be brighter light for you, right? So the conduct of the Father, laboring, travailing, night and day, uh, commitment of time to serving his family. The character is that he's just going to be holy, and righteous before the Lord. He's going to live a holy lifestyle before God. And he's going to do his very best. A good father is doing his very best to live just like God asked. And doesn't make excuses for that. That's what a great, great father always does. And then the conversation of a good father. What, what does he talk about? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says he exhorts. If you look in verse 12, he says encouraging comforting, and urging. And uh, I'm going to give you the, the other Greek words for those. Exhorting is the first one. It's to stand alongside and instruct. It means to stand alongside somebody and instruct them. Okay, now, you remember when you were in class, some of you go way back to the early days of life. 
when you're in high school. We used to have a thing, some of you don't know this, but we used to have a thing in high school called chalkboards. <laughs> they were pretty cool. And, uh, um, but you, you could write on a chalkboard with a piece of chalk. You remember that? You remember when your teacher was up on the board showing you how to do you know, some complicated geometry problem or you know, uh, algebra or physics or whatever it was, and it was just like taking up the whole board. Remember that? And she's just going on and on. And you just, I mean, your brain, is, and you're, you're trying to copy it on your paper, and it's just not, not working. And a real good teacher, you know what they would do? They would turn around and start looking to class while they're teaching. They would look, and she, she would see you struggling. Be like, oh, you're not getting this at all. She'd see it in your face. So you know what real good teachers used to do? They'd leave the chalkboard, and they'd come stand beside your desk. Say, let me look right here. See, see this right here? That's where, okay, here, yeah. Okay, just move that over there. You're good. Erase that, put that there. And that was to stand alongside and instruct. And it meant the teacher left the, you know, the whole thing and came and got real focused with me. Here's what good fathers do. They exhort their children one-on-one right beside them, right beside them. It's not just yell it into the room, not just, not just write it as a rule into our home, but to say, you know what, I'm going to stand beside you and help you with this. I want to instruct you from alongside you. Now, it's interesting to me because the very next word that he uses to exhort means to stand alongside and instruct. And then the word comfort has the exact same preposition in the front of it that means alongside. So he says when you're comforting your child, you also have to stand alongside them. You stand alongside them to build them up. This word comfort in the Greek means to put structure under them so they're comforted, uh, so they're protected, so they're stronger. Uh, one of my best ways to ever understand this original word in the Greek, um, besides meaning you do it alongside it. You don't do it, you don't do it from a distance. Okay. You do it, you do this right alongside your child, fathers. But, uh, when Hurricane, uh, Andrew came through, uh, years ago, came through South Carolina and blew all those homes away. There were some, some video of some families that were working on their house. And one of the guys who, who had a house kind of out, out on the beach and it was on the edge of the hurricane, but uh, he said, you know, our house, it's up on stilts on the beach. And he said, but it, it, it sways a lot and we're worried to death about those winds. And so he went and got a ton of his friends and a ton of two by tens and a ton of nails and screws. And he put all kinds of structure under that house. He built all kinds of structure. Um, all these braces and angles. He, he studied some of the geometry of it. And he said, you know, this needs to be anchored to here. And all of a sudden, his house that, that had all this movement in it was strengthened because he did exactly what this word means. It means to come alongside and build it up so that it's strong and strengthened so that it can withstand big storms. That's exactly what this word means in the original language, to be comforted. And uh, so even all our children, by the way, no matter how old the child gets, senior citizens, no matter how old the child gets, they need your comfort. They need you to come alongside them, pat them on the hand, pat them on the back and say, we're going to get through this together because we all go through difficult times and we should encourage our children. We'll get through this together. We're going to go together and I'm going to strengthen you as we go through this. I'll build this up for you. I'll build up some, some strength. Now, where does that strength come from? As a family, you're going to get it in the Word of God.
Okay? If you don't know Bibles, Bible verses that help strengthen the character of a person, the values, if you can't put Bible verses into the strengthening mark of that child, their structure is ultimately going to fail because there's this whole great story Jesus tells about a guy who built his house on sand versus rock. When you build it on sand, it never lasts. So you can use all the world's information you want to to try to strengthen. You can Google all kinds of information for your kids to try to strengthen their lives, and it's shifting sand. It's not going to help you. But when you build your house, you build your house on the Word of God. Gentlemen, when you, when you decide as a father, your conversations are going to center around strengthening our lives, I'm going to stand alongside you and instruct you and encourage you with the Word of God changes the dynamics and it makes it work beautifully and the other thing i want to mention is just the relational uh, relationship as a father this fatherly love that's mentioned here there's a beautiful verse in first corinthians 4 15 in first corinthians 4 15 talks about spiritual fatherhood spiritual fatherhood let me just read it to you i am not paul says i'm to the corinthians i'm not writing this to shame you but to warn you as my dear children. Now, he's the spiritual father of the Corinthians, who, by the way, are struggling. They're not the, not the brightest bulbs in the box. They're definitely not his most impressive spiritual children, okay? They're the ones that he's constantly going, come on, what's wrong with you people? Get back in the line, okay? Um, here's what he says. I'm not writing to shame you. I just want to warn you, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ... Um, those would be godly men and the, even the angels that guard us. You do not have many fathers, for, Christ, uh, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. So the Apostle Paul saying, I have a fatherhood role in your life because I led you to Christ, because I brought the gospel in your life and I changed your life. I have a fatherhood role that's different than all the other roles. And uh, there's other people that speak in your life, but as your spiritual father... I want to speak straight at you now, and I'm going to warn you about something. So I want to say to all of you who've led children to Christ, who, who have uh, friends you've led to Christ, and you become their spiritual father, you do have a very important role with that. You don't ever need to let those children uh, get far from you so you don't know how to help them or minister to them. Because you have a spiritual fathering role. Even ladies, when you lead somebody to Christ, you're their spiritual role model and their mother, and you should stay with them and help them build that up in their faith. Um, it's one of the things I enjoy about Terry Chupp. Terry Chupp's led lots of people to Christ. He's the guy that helps us run Team Jesus. He's from Georgia. But when he's in town and he's with three or four of the guys, that's his, his spiritual children, uh, when we're together, he's checking on them. Big old Russ Wood uh, from play for the University of Alabama. Um, he's always helping us on the Team Jesus Day. Is one of his spiritual children. He came to Christ under Terry's ministry. And so Terry's always looking at it, looking up at him, saying, uh, tell me how it's going. How's your family? How you doing with your wife? You know, how's everything going? How's your church going? How you doing your Sunday school lessons? He just checks on him as a spiritual father. We have that responsibility, guys, to, to care for each other. And all these children that we've led to Christ recently, I've got, their, I've got a whole stack of cards on my desk. I'm, gonna start, I'm calling churches this week saying, you know, let's do a little follow-up. Your, your kids that go to your church got saved. But we're their spiritual father at this point. We've got to take care of them to the very best of our ability. Over the years, I've led a number of kids to Christ in Birmingham that that are like my children to me. And they'll call me and ask me questions, and they need guidance. And And I just recognize the role 
of changing their life from pursuing the things of the world to pursuing the things of God, they get a little confused. So they call because the things of God are tied to their spiritual father. So they, they can ask their, they have good earthly fathers, but they're not walking with the Lord, several of them. So they call their spiritual father to get that information. That's who you should become, gentlemen, for, for your whole family, the spiritual father of your family, the one that your kids can ask questions about the scriptures and those kind of things. Then the last thing is their purpose. What's the purpose of a good father? Paul makes it crystal clear in the text. He actually says, uh, so that you would live, last part of verse 12, encouraging you, comforting you, and urging you to live lives worthy. To live lives worthy of what? Worthy of our family? Nope. Worthy of God who called you into the kingdom of his glory. You're to be worthy of God who called you. How did he call you? He sent his son to die. You're supposed to live a life worthy of the sacrifice of a holy God. Now I want to just make this crystal clear. Nobody's that good. We're never going to get that good. But it is the goal to work towards that so that our lives every week, gentlemen, our lives every week in our family... We need to be closer and closer to being worthy of what God has called us to do. Worthy of what God has called us to do. So for you to live in a way that's worthy of God's sacrifice. A few years, a few, uh, I think it was last year I told you the story of Maximilian Kolbe, the, the fellow that gave his life for the prisoner in Auschwitz. And that prisoner, uh, he, was supposed to be one, he was supposed to be put in a pen and die, just starved to death. Uh, Maximilian Kolbe literally volunteered to, for in his place, and he died in his he died in that pen. So the the prisoner, when he re, was released from Auschwitz, he put a stone in his backyard with a plaque on it to that man, and he never forgot that sacrifice. And he actually says one of his quotes in his later life as a prisoner rescued from Auschwitz was, "Every breath I breathe is breathe is because of that man, Maximilian Kolbe. Every breath I breathe is his." Well, that's true of us as Christians. Every breath you breathe is because of Christ, because of the sacrifice. Every joy, every time you and your family laugh and giggle. I was thinking the other night at, at camp, we were sitting up late, and, you know, late night at camp just gets nuts. We start telling goofy stories and, you know, laughing until we lose our voice and, uh, I mean, cry. I, we were literally laying, you know, on the couch just crying, just telling crazy, goofy stories. And I thought, you know, God, what a gift you've given us to sit around as brothers and sisters in Christ and just laugh. Just laugh. That's a gift from God. You know, we, none of us deserve that. But as, as we are to live in a way that's worthy of what God did for us so that you would walk, one translation says, so that you'd walk in a manner and have a lifestyle worthy of the God who's called you into his kingdom. God expects you and I to live according to his values. His values. So dads, part of what you're supposed to teach your kids is his values. Now, you can talk to them about his values. Okay? And the walking or the words are important. But the witness that you live before them, if you tell them you're not supposed to, if you say God says we're never to, you know, to cheat our neighbor or never to do anything, you know, wrong towards our neighbor, and then they turn around and see you do that some other place... Your witness doesn't match your words. That's not okay because it confuses children. 
You know, we need to live out. If, if we believe that we're supposed to be gentle and kind and uh, merciful and gracious and loving to our neighbors, then we be gentle and kind. They need to see us do that. Um, they need to see us live our words out so that the witness, a great father, a great father teaches their children to value the values of God and they help model it for them all the time. To be effective, it's not just your words, dads. Not just your words. It's your witness. You know, if you're telling your kids to guard their tongue and you're not guarding your tongue, if you're telling the kids to guard their eyes, you're not guarding your eyes. If you're telling your kids to you know, guard their attitude and then they watch you that week not guard your attitude, you know, we're not making any progress as good fathers. Um, we actually are going backwards because it's our witness that'll have the stronger testimony. So for most of us as dads, we have a lot of growing to do. We have a lot of uh, things we need to improve in our lives. There's no perfect dads um, on the planet that I've found. And um, but I do want to say I'm honored to be among the dads that I know from here from Northside. You guys are pretty amazing. And uh, it's encouraging to be in in our men's group on Wednesday nights. I want to encourage y'all to come on Wednesday nights to our men's group um, because we grow. And we talk about some of this, where, where we fall short and uh, how we miss some of, this, uh, some of the responsibilities that we should have and how to fix that. And uh, guys, I just want us to all be growing. I want us to be better next week than we are this week in these values. I want our character and our, um, our conversations to be better next week than we were this week. Amen? You want to improve some? Guys, you want to improve some? I don't No, you don't, do you? You, you told you it was going to crush your toes. Now you're all mad at me. That's great. Good, good job, guys. All right.